I am so excited to introduce to you, a lot of you know her, but this is my good friend Stacy Johnson, and Stacy is our pastor of equipping and worldview formation, which that's a big fancy word, but I will tell you, um, she is incredible at helping us understand worldview and culture. And um, and one of the things when I was asking Stacy to talk, one of the reasons I'm so drawn to her and just am so excited that we get to hear from her tonight is um, there are very few people, and I hope you hear this as a compliment, Stacey, that are more clear in your in teaching. And so I am just so thankful that you are joining us tonight and just am, am glad you're here. So welcome. Thank you yeah, yeah. very, very much. It is a joy to be with y'all. Thanks so much. Like Katie said, I'm just going to share kind of where I've been sitting for a while. And so you're going to get kind of a look into how me and God sit with questions. Let me just say at the front end, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture tonight. Do not frantically try and take down all the references. I have papers for you in the back on the way out. When you walk out, you can take one. Every scripture I read will be on that page because I, I'm not even going to flip through them tonight in the interest of time. That's how much I'm reading. So I've got them all written and we'll, we'll just read them together. Um, and you'll have to trust me. I'm quoting it accurately. That's just, can we do that? Can you do that? Just trust I'm quoting it accurately. Let me pray for us because, um, Tonight, my real hope is you will hear an invitation, although it's not going to start that way. It may start with a little bit of a, ooh, wait, we go in there? (laughs) The answer is yes, Um, but it's not going to land where you might think it is. So let me pray for us. Lord, we are privileged, we are honored, um, we are humbled that you look on us and you invite us in. You invite us in to know you, and to experience your fullness. God, would you open our eyes, would you open our hearts and open our minds, and would you individually meet with each person in this room and call them closer to yourself? We are so very thankful. I pray that by the time we're done, you will have led us a little bit deeper to the foot of the cross and a little bit further into that empty tomb. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to spend the next 30 minutes on one verse of scripture. Let me read it to you. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So let me say that again. It's real short. 30 minutes on one verse. For this is the love of God. Our love for him, his love for us. That we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. My first question that I sit with and I ask myself is, do I feel his commandments as burdensome? So I'm just going to read a few in rapid succession. Ready? Here are some commandments of Jesus. I'm not reading from the Old Testament. This is Jesus himself. Here's a few. Live in God's word continually. Don't test God. Worship God only. Serve God always. Follow Jesus all the time. Rejoice. Be glad. Do good works. Be reconciled with your brothers and your sisters. Don't have sex outside of marriage. 
Ever. Don't lust. Ever. Don't lie. Ever. Fulfill all of your promises. Don't retaliate for evil. We feel in burden yet? We're going to keep going. Be generous to all, even those you don't like. Give sacrificially and don't let others know when you do it. Don't post it. Okay, that's my commentary. <laughs> Love your enemies. Yes, your enemies. Pray for people who hurt you, even the ones who really hurt you. Be perfect like God. Be modest about your faithfulness. Don't flaunt it. Pray, pray, pray. Submit everything you have to the kingdom of God and his work. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Always seek God's kingdom first. Don't judge unjustly. Don't be hypocritical. Examine yourself and purge all sin from your life. Seek God. Come to God on his terms, not yours. Beware of evil and false teachers. Follow Jesus. Pray for unbelievers. Give generously. Tell others about the kingdom and what God has done for you. Be wise. Be innocent. Share what God has said. Fear God. Don't fear the world. Listen carefully. Come to Jesus. Deny yourself, your whole self. Don't sin. Resist sin no matter what it takes. Initiate conflict resolution with your brothers and your sisters. Don't wait for them to come to you. Help your brothers and your sisters. Give God all that you have. It belongs to him anyway. Love God with all of yourself, heart, mind, strength. Love God in the same way you love your, love others in the same way you love yourself. Make disciples. Help others do all that Jesus commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, my guess is that can feel burdensome. If you're like me, you read that list, and it's very tempted, tempting to feel burdened. Very, very tempting. By the way, that's just a sample from the first book of the New Testament. You have 26 more to go. If you'd like some more commands, feel free to go find them. That's 50 just from the book of Matthew. And we can't dismiss them as Old Testament law because Jesus said them. And then Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But then he said, it's not burdensome. And last time I checked, Jesus is the one who said that, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because my burden is light. And so there, there we have it. How do we live? Now, maybe you, when I ask you, do you feel burdensome? Maybe you internally are saying no. Maybe you are not feeling the burden of all those commands. And it could be for a number of reasons. Maybe the reason is that you already love the commands. You sit with them. They're enchanting to you. You love them. Because you know a richness of the grace of God that allows you to experience a fullness of who you are that calls you home to Jesus every time. If that's you then I hope that the next 20 minutes is a bit of celebration and reminder for you 
And I'm very happy that God has brought you right there. What a joyful spot. And when you forget, remember tonight, because you will forget. We will forget, right? We're forgetful people. You might be saying, no, they're not a burden, because you might think you've got this covered. You follow the commands good enough. Or you're forgiven. See, we're covered by grace and we're forgiven, so we don't actually think much about the commands. The problem is they're so frequent and so often, I don't know how we would live in the scripture. Like you would have to ignore most of the Bible in order to actually ignore them. And if you think you've got it covered, well, then you're not like me. (laughs) Because if be perfect, the only, just one of those on the list looks me in the face, I have a no, I don't have this covered. Not on my own. Or maybe you're saying, no, I don't feel burdened because you don't care about the commands of Jesus. They're not relevant to you. There's nothing about them that's really enchanted. There's nothing about Jesus himself right now. You're not even really sure how you feel about this whole Christian thing. And if that's you, that is so okay. So glad you're sitting here. And all I'm going to ask you to do is consider that maybe there's something that you're missing in your life to live fully as you were made to live. And it's not a heavy-handed parole officer that wants to beat you up when you mess up. But maybe you said yes. Does it feel burdensome? Maybe you say yes, and what you do is you just withdraw a little bit from spending too much time looking at Christ and God in all of the fullness of holiness. Because you feel the the tension. Like, how do we live there? How do I feel safe enough to approach a God that I feel like I'm always disappointing? So there are spaces in my walk with Jesus and spaces in my relationship with God that I just can't even go to. And so maybe we hope the tension will go away. If I ignore it long enough, it'll just go away, right? Or maybe, maybe you're sitting here saying, yes, I feel the burden. I get the tension. I feel it, but I don't want to. I want to be able to live in tenacious obedience to Christ, but freedom inside of that without this burden of feeling judgment or shame or whatever it is that you're feeling. And if that's you, then welcome. You are in a great spot. What a lovely place to be. And you know what? You are right. God has more for you. More of himself. And so what do we do? What do we do when we're looking at this space where God commands one thing and we see it in full force and we're tempted to shrink and say, now what? But on the other hand, we're sitting in church and Bible study and we're reading our Bible and we're told that God is our father and he loves us and he's loving kind and he's been gracious to us. And how do we live in that? I'll tell you how my daughter lives in it. I have an eight-year-old and this is pretty much what she says. Do you hear these stories? How many of you have kids? Does anybody have kids yet? I'm in a young adult meeting, I'm assuming now. Okay. So I didn't get married until I was 37, didn't have my daughter until I was 39, little side note. So I heard a lot of stories about kids, and I didn't like hang around a whole lot of kids before I had one, just not my kind of thing. So, which I love my daughter, by the way. But I heard stories about kids, like you see the meme where they pack their bags, and they're like, I'm, I'm running away. You hear these stories, little kids that say, I'm running away, and then they run outside and they 
come back in and say I'm not allowed to cross the street by myself so they can't run away? Okay. My daughter, she's eight, she has started to do this. She has started to say, I'm leaving, I'm running away. But the interesting thing is what makes her go there. Now, sometimes it is because she doesn't get what she wants. Sometimes it's running away because I want something and mommy, you and daddy won't let me have it. But most of the time, this is very telling to me, most of the time, my daughter wants to run away from home or threatens to run away from home. When she's done something wrong, she knows it and she feels bad. And I want to run away is always preceded by I don't belong in this family. Now, to me as a mom, that is utterly heartbreaking. I don't belong in this family. I'm leaving. Because when you're stuck there, and my daughter right now is under the grand delusion, that delusion, that my husband and I are perfect, (laughs) which we are really trying to break her of this delusion. But she's eight. She'll learn. She'll figure it out. She'll be 16, and she will have no problem telling us all the ways my husband and I are wrong. But right now, she thinks we are perfect, and she is not. And her gut reaction is to pack her bags and run away. Does this sound familiar? Does it feel familiar? I am not much different than an eight-year-old. So what do we do? We look at the commands and we press in. And so how do we do that? We are going to answer just a couple of questions. Tonight is not going to solve all the tension for you. But what I'd like to do is help give us a little bit of clarity so that when we go sit with the Lord, we know how to sit with him in it. And we know where to go with it. And so the first thing we're going to ask is what exactly are the commands of God? What really are they? Romans seven twelve. So the law is holy and the command is holy and righteous and good. Whatever the commands are, all of these things that God tells us to do and not do, all of the ways he describes the kind of life you and I should, should, let's not should ourselves, but the kind of life you and I are actually made to live, all of these descriptions are holy and righteous and good. What that means is that the commands themselves are reflections of God himself. The commands of God are the reflection of the perfection of God himself. They're a picture of the kingdom we were actually meant for. So the way I think about this is I think about the commands of God as a window. Right? So you look out of a window... And the commands of God is like being on one side of the window and you look through the glass out the window and there, Lewis called it the far off country. There is a world we are meant to live in and people we are meant to be. And in order to paint that picture for us, God actually paints the picture. He tells us about that world. He tells us about the holiness and the righteousness and the goodness of that world. That's not just a world I'm meant for. That's a kind of person I'm meant for. I mean, imagine, we're going to go back to a couple of these. Imagine, for example, what the world and what you and I would be like with a command like don't lie. Can you imagine what it would be like to live a life where you never had to lie or hide because you had nothing to be ashamed of or felt like you needed to keep hidden? Imagine for a minute the freedom you live in when you don't have to lie 
when you don't have to hide, when there's nothing about you or your life, you're afraid someone else will find out. Imagine a world where brothers and sisters actually reconciled regularly, had nothing against each other. We weren't afraid of each other. Oh my goodness, like revolutionary. Imagine a world where we all lived justly with one another. Imagine a world where you could get back all the innocence you had as a toddler. And even before your memory came. Who doesn't want that? The commands of God, all of those commands I read, paint a picture through the window. They paint a picture about the kind of people you and I are meant to be and the world we are meant to live in. And it is a reflection of the perfection of God. And that perfect is holy, it is righteous, it is good, it is beautiful, it is attractive. And so when looking at that, the psalmist in Psalm 119 actually says things like this. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I might be simple, but there's so much color of understanding I see in the world. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. When was the last time you heard somebody say that? Seriously. When was the last time you or I heard someone reflect back to us a longing for the commandments of God? Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Rules? Really? Yes. In a way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The psalmist looks through that window and looks through the reflection and the glass panes and the psalmist goes, I want it, I long for it, please. The psalmist meditates on it, doesn't run from those commands, doesn't run from those descriptions, doesn't chop off the word of God at its knees and loses all of the richness and all of the glory and all of the depth. Because the psalmist sees the beauty through the window, a reflection of the perfection of God. If I fail to see it, I will fail to see God himself because he's painting me a picture of himself. He wants me to see himself in the life I long for. But then why is it true? Like, I don't know about you, but why is it true that that's not my experience? Why is it true that sometimes I look through it and sometimes my heart leaps and says, yes, I long for this far off country of this description, but sometimes I don't. Let me give you three reasons we get the burden feeling. One is culture. You are surrounded by a culture that absolutely despises rules and boundaries. Commands, rules, and boundaries, and this is why. Commands, rules, and boundaries feel like a deprivation. Now, I could get on a little soapbox here, but I don't have time. Talk to me later. Boundaries and commands of living feel like deprivation in the world I'm, we're, the world you and I are living in. You will be told over and over and over again, explicitly and implicitly, 
that a command suffocates your identity. It is a deprivation that suffocates your identity. Y'all, the world tells me this every day, and it is a lie from the pit. The world can't figure out what an identity is, much less know what suffocates an identity. The second reason is that culture believes that any kind of command is a judgment. It's going to shame your identity. So if you're not suffocating your identity, you're shaming your identity. Well, actually, it is pretty shameful if there's, God doesn't answer the dilemma, but God does. And this is why we don't just live in the burden section. So wait to where we're going. So the first reason we feel the, the, the burden is culture. Culture telling us it's going to suffocate you or shame you. Don't go there. Resist it. Walk away. Pack your bags. Run away. The second reason we feel it is because we have actually violated them. And we feel bad, just like my little girl. You see, I'm not holy and righteous and good. So here's what happens. I walk up to the window. And if you walk up to the window and you get close enough, you don't see what's on the other side. You see your reflection. That's why the law is called the tutor to bring us to Christ. My reflection reflects back at me and shows me the difference between who God is and who I am. That's what reflections do. So the law is holy, just, and perfect, and I walk up to the window and I get a glimpse of that reflection of the perfection of God and I see myself when I get too close to the glass. The problem with the reflection is it can't fix anything, right? I don't wake up in the morning and look in my mirror and my mirror does my hair for me. It just tells me my hair needs to be done, right? That's all the mirror can do. Can't actually fix anything. And so I think what happens is sometimes the third reason we feel burdened, see the first two, we've got culture and then we've just got a reality, You and I have broken the commands of God. It's a reality. Best thing to do is to just admit it. This is the reality we're living in. And it would be awful if God actually hadn't responded to that, but he did in a way he didn't have to. And so the third reason I think we live in the burden is because we live in somewhat of an anemic gospel. We live in an anemic gospel. Now, what do I I mean by that? I mean that when we go up to the mirror and we get a reflection of ourselves and we feel the difference between the holiness of God and the sin in me, it's kind of like I'm walking up to the mirror in Snow White. Do y'all remember that mirror? Mirror, mirror on the wall and it would talk to you. Okay, this is what, this is kind of what happens in our temptation and living out the gospel. We think we walk up to the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall and what we hear back is you're forgiven. Okay, thank you. I'm going to go on and live my life now. And then I come back to the mirror. Anytime I get wind of the word of God or I sit with the word of God, if I'm still sitting with the word of God, or I sit with the Lord and I pray and I start to feel that disparity again between his holiness and me, I walk up to the mirror, 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 and what I hear is, you're forgiven. Oh, okay, better, go. What's the problem? The mirror's not fixing me. Is it true that I am forgiven? Yes. Is it true that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you? Yes. Is it true that your sins are washed white as snow? Yes. 
Is it true that God has separated them from you as far as the East is from the West because of your faith in Jesus? Yes. Is it a holy work of God? Yes. Is it any work in part on you? No. All of that is very true. It's just anemic if it's all we have. God has done so much more. We need to live to learn in li- learn to live in the fullness of the gospel in the real good news. Because here's the thing. It's one thing when you say, I was talking with a young adult one time years and years ago. She was a medical student. And maybe you can understand this. This medical student, she was like in honors. She was like high honors in med school. At one of the leading med schools in the country. She was stressed out and she knew more theology than I did. Right? And she couldn't get rid of the burden. She knew the gospel. She was a believer. She was seeking God. She had all these things she was trying to attain, and she still felt the burden. And so I'm sitting across from her at the coffee shop, and I said, what does it do when I look at you and I say, God loves you? Now, the right Christian response is, revolutionary, okay? Right? She did not do that. She was really honest. I I, I got to... I loved her honesty. What does it do to know that God loves you? And she says, ah. And I said, that doesn't really do it, do it for you, does it? And she said, ah, no. I said, what would it do if I told you that not only does God love you, but he has made you lovely? And something in her took a very deep breath. The anemic gospel, although true, is missing a crucial element, a couple of crucial ones. We need to live in the fullness. The first, yes, the gospel is judicial in the sense that I go from being not guilty, I go from being guilty to not guilty. It is judicial. God has declared and righted me. Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Yes, the good news is, in order for me to be right by God, it was entirely earned by Jesus, not a work of mine. The gospel is also metaphysical. And when I say gospel, that word actually means good news. The good news is also metaphysical. What in the world do I mean by that? I mean that there's something that happens to you and me that is not something you can see or hear or taste or feel. There is, there is a rebirth and a renewal that happens to you and me. Galatians 2, 19 and 20, if you just keep reading. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ's offer to you is, yes, the offer of forgiveness. It is the offer of being made right with God, but it is also the offer to a whole new life. Life that's meant to live on the other side of that window now. Listen to what Jesus said. 
In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 3, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Not just forgiveness, not just salvation, although true. Life. Jesus came that you could have full life. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He's talking to the Pharisees there. Phrases like, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus offers life. You cannot escape the burden of the commands. If all your mirror does to you is say you got it wrong and you're forgiven. And you go on your happy, merry little way and then you come back. If you don't actually have a gospel that makes you entirely new so that when you look in the mirror you see more than one thing, it will be anemic and you'll never break free of the burden. So what do we do? We live out of the life of Christ. The gospel is judicial, yes. Metaphysical, yes. It is also experiential. What do I mean by that? It is the everyday joy and empowerment of a person who lives like they belong there on the other side of the window. So Galatians 5, 16, but I say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. This new life that you've been given, this new person that you've been made, is anchored in the indwelling Holy Spirit of God that lives in you. And he wants the commands. He wants the picture. He loves the scripture. He loves worship. He lives in you, and this is what he wants. It's what he longs for. That's the psalmist, when the psalmist writes, I long, I pant for you, the Holy Spirit in you is going, yes, yes. So now when I look in the mirror until I'm home on the complete other side 
of the kingdom. Now when I look in the mirror, I see two things. I see a, I see a new person full of life, indwelt by a Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God. He gives me the things I could never imagine being able to do in my lifetime. He gives me the ability to live in the inner rest of that faraway kingdom. But the other thing I see, and the reality is I still see that I have a flesh. That's why I read that passage. I still have the part of me that actually kind of doesn't like the laws, doesn't like the commands, wants to kind of ignore them. And so here is simply what we do. We sit with the scripture. We sit with God and we sit with one another. We feed our spirit. We starve our flesh. And when I ask the question, what do I want? It usually is something that has nothing to do with that kingdom. But when I stop long enough, and that's the hard thing in today's culture, stopping long enough is hard to stop. But when I stop long enough and I say, God, what do I really want? That's a question for the spirit of God within me. What do I want and what do I really want are two very different questions. What do I want usually aims at my flesh in any given moment. What do I really want is a a question for the Holy Spirit living within me. And so what do we do? What do we do to live out of the new life instead of running from this burden of the tension? We sit with the fullness of what God has offered. We sit with the scripture. You will have all the scriptures when you walk out here. All of Psalm 119 is on there. Yes, it is enormous. Yes, it is long. It'll take you probably a month just to sit with it. Who doesn't have a month? Come on, right? Look, you're going to be a month older anyway. You might as well be a month older knowing Psalm 119, right? We sit with the scripture. We don't cut it off. We remember what God has done. We remind ourselves. We pray. And so, but why does it really matter? This is why it matters. Listen to Hebrews, Hebrews 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Go to the window. See all that God has done. See all that is all he is. Don't ignore his holiness because we're afraid. It's part of who he is. There's also love and kindness there. There's mercy and grace there. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Go to the window. Look at the window. Hold fast the confession, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence drawn near to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. In context, that time of need is when we are tempted. And I don't know about you, but when I'm being tempted towards sin, the last place I may feel like going is to God because I'm already embarrassed just by the tempting. Anybody else with me? Right? That's how it works. What Hebrews is telling us 
is that we have to hold fast to the confession of our faith. We have to hold fast to everything God has done and all of who he is. Because in time of need, the only place that's going to help us is the throne. And you know what you're going to find at that throne? Not anger. Not harshness. It's called the throne of grace. Because you're going to find grace. And you're going to find mercy. You're going to find a father who welcomes and invites you. And that is an experience many of us do not have normally. It's hard to even imagine. But the only way you know it is to walk there and trust him and experience it. I had a friend a long time ago, last story and then we'll be done, who was, um, he was a believer and we used to, we met at a coffee shop and it was one of those things where like we were always there at the same time and so after about three years of talking, we realized we were friends now because he's, he's working his station, I'm working at my station, I'm in grad school, um, he's working on like some research project or whatever. Well, he had a girlfriend and we were chatting and he found out over time that I was a believer, I was walking with Jesus and it took about two years, two years before he just kind of, like I knew that he and his girlfriend were living together. We had talked a little bit about scriptures, but you know, I don't want to judge him. He didn't want to judge me. I had stuff in my life and all of that. And so eventually he actually asked me this very poignant question. He said, Stacy, so you know my girlfriend and I are living together. What do you think about that? Now y'all, <laughs> I hate this question. <laughs> Today, I work on staff at a church and I hate this question because there's no way out for me. The window is what it is. There is beauty, there is goodness, there is loveliness, but I know that the minute I open my mouth, all my friend is going to feel is the reflection, the harshness. What do I say? And this is what came out of my mouth, and I'm so glad that it did because it really actually got to the heart of God's commands. I don't think it came from me. I looked at him and I said, you know, I think God hopes a lot more for you. That's the heart of the commands. The 618 laws of the Old Testament, all the commands of Jesus, the heart behind it is this is what the holiness, the goodness, the righteousness of God looks like. It is so very lovely and God hopes more for you. And so I am going to pray for us. I'm actually going to pray Ephesians 3 and it may be that... You need to take some time in the next couple of days and just go sit with Jesus. And maybe you just need to ask him to remind you that he's a lot kinder than you think he is. He's a lot more generous and he's a lot more loving kind than you think he is. Maybe you need to meet with Jesus and spend some time in deep repentance. I'll warn you, it's painful. I've been there recently. But oh my gosh, the freedom it brings. If I could just, if you've ever done that, if you've ever faced the reality of having violated the goodness and the holiness of God and actually had God meet you at the throne of grace and mercy, it is more freeing than I can describe to you. It just all fades and turns beautiful. 
then maybe that's what you need to do. Let him do that for you. So let me pray. Lord, for this reason, we bow before you, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Lord, I pray that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant to us that you may strengthen us with power through your spirit. Strengthen us, Lord, in our inner being. Lord, strengthen us that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, that we may have strength to even begin to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, what is the height and the depth, and to know your love, to know the love of Christ that surpasses anything our tiny little brains can conceive. Lord, fill us that we may be filled with all the fullness of the glorious, beautiful, holy, righteous, good, and inviting God. Amen.